0: Good morning everyone! Today is, number, is day number 16 in our Elul series and today we're going to start talking about the idea of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur being the holiest day of the year, which when you think about it, Yom Kippur is, uh, has a lot of very interesting things that don't really make sense. For example, the very fact that Yom Kippur is the only day of the year nowadays, that we say five prayers. Every day we, we pray three prayers. On special days like Rosh Chodesh and Shabbos, we have four prayers because we add the Musa prayer. And on Yom Kippur, we have the Ne'ilah prayer, which is the fifth prayer. That's one enigma about Yom Kippur. Then really, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, is by itself, in and it by, it by itself, a very interesting enigmatic idea. What happens one day, suddenly, all of our sins get lost. All of our sins just cease to exist. Yeah, How do you say in Spanish? Como es posible. How is that possible? What, what happens? I could sin the whole year. I could do terrible things. And suddenly one day, in the words of the Gemara, in the words of Talmud, its shel yom mechaper. The essence of the day atones. Like something about the day, the actual day, has in it atonement. How is that possible? Another interesting enigmatic thing about Yom Kippur is that we see that every Jew has a connection to Yom Kippur, even Jews that are very, very far from Yiddish Kai. Look, for example, the State of Israel, yeah? even if we might love it very very much but it's not necessarily a religious state and it's not necessarily a state that uh, uh, pushes for, um, for godliness and things like that. Yeah, It's not very not religious, let's call it that way. Yom Kippur is the only day of the year where there's no radio there's no, that's the reason why the Yom Kippur War was so successful for our enemies because they knew that on Yom Kippur, no one is going to be, almost no soldiers are going to be out there on their posts. Everybody goes to shul, even though most of the country is not religious. Before Netflix, all the blockbuster um, uh, vendors uh, vending machines were, would be completely empty before Yom Kippur. Everybody would take movies because in Yom Kippur, you don't go to work, you don't go outside. In places like Tel Aviv, Yom Kippur is the best day for bicycling. Everybody gets onto their bicycle because no one will drive a car Yom Kippur. The kids in Tel Aviv think that it's one day that you become religious. So that's why every Motsa Yom Kippur, every, every in, the, in the news over here in Israel after Yom Kippur, they say that ambulances were stoned by kids because ambulances have to break Shabbos, have to break in Kippur, as Halacha says. But the kids in Tel Aviv think that it's prohibited. So, uh, and, and they think that what a religious kid does, if he sees a car driving a Shabbos, he throws stones. So a lot of ambulances get stoned. Thank you, Zeb. I really appreciate it. So um, it, that's, very, that's a very interesting concept. Like suddenly one day where everybody feels, yeah, or how does the famous saying go? What does a Jew do on Yom Kippur? He comes to shul and the whole time in shul he talks to his friends and explains how he's really an atheist. Yeah, this is a, this is a very American joke, right? The, the people over here that are from the Commonwealth, right? England, South Africa, Australia, all these other places, over there, Jews are more traditional, but, um, but American Jewry is unfortunately very, very, very far from tradition, and still there's this concept of coming to shul and talking about a, the fact that I'm an atheist. I once read a book review in the New York Times about a book that was written by a non-Jewish girl about dating Jewish guys. I don't know if it still exists, but when I was younger, there was a few books that came out in that genre, um, where girls said uh, most probably, I think there's like some concept of uh, non-Jewish girls wanting to names gu- Jewish guys because they're considered to be more family people and things like that, uh, drink less. I don't know exactly what the, what the whole psychology behind it was. I, I never hung out on campus uh, in my life, but, uh, but there were a few books that came out in that genre of non-Jewish girls that only dated Jewish guys and they gave them tips on how to do that. So I remember a few funny things that I picked up from there. One of the things that I remember is he said, how do you know if the guy is Jewish or not? Just go to his parents home. If they give you a baguette and a fruit, you know that they're definitely not Jewish. If they're Jewish, they'll give you a whole fat supper with a few courses you won't be able to move afterwards. That's uh, that's how you know that, uh, that, you're, that that the guy you're dating is Jewish. But then she writes something very interesting. In all that shmutz, there was also some there was also some pearls. She said, never date the guy on Yom Kippur. I don't know what's going on with these people on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, stay away from the guy. So she says a uh, episode that she had. She goes out with the guy in Yom Kippur. She goes to a restaurant, and everything goes perfect. You could imagine if the guy goes and eats in a restaurant Yom Kippur, he's not some Orthodox guy. He's not even conservative. Very, very far. You could imagine also there's no kosher restaurants in Yom Kippur, so they're eating tray from the restaurant somewhere Yom Kippur, and they're uh, going home and uh, and they're, they're fooling around. Yeah, they're they're most probably not learning over there Kabbalah. And suddenly the guy bro- breaks down and. Uh, the guy breaks down and he says, no, 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 today's Yom Kippur, I can't, and she felt so uncomfortable, she had to leave, he says, don't go next to these guys on Yom Kippur, there, you- something something is off over there, Yom Kippur, and that, that is what a shiksa, shiksa is not a derogatory term, shiksa means a non-Jewish girl, right, I don't. I know that nowadays people think that's derogatory, so, so I wouldn't use a derogatory term, but that non-Jewish girl understood there's something going on, something in the Jewish soul, something in the Jewish spark gets ignited on Yom Kippur. Something, something beyond, something beyond. And uh, that's what I recall from some article on a book review in the New York Times a long, long time ago. What's going on? What happens on Yom Kippur? How is it connected to Rosh Hashanah? Our shoshana, will you rebuild the malchus? we rebuild the femininity? We, we 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 propose to God, and we tell God, would you please marry us? Would you please be our king? Will you take us as a spouse? Will you take us as a as a as a slave to serve you? What happens in Yom Kippur? How does how does that work? And the last question is actually a question that Chassidus asks based on the pasuk, the pasuk about Yom Kippur, the main pasuk of Yom Kippur is ki for on this day he will atone for you in front of God you will be purified so what do we see in that Pasuk? the Pasuk says on this day he will atone to you and it doesn't say God will atone to you it says he the holy Zohar tells us when it says the word he it doesn't when it doesn't say it doesn't say a name that alludes to the level of God that is beyond his name beyond his expression and that is the source of atonement on Yom Kippur so I think we had enough questions about Yom Kippur and also what does it mean what does it mean that he will and doesn't say a name and then it says in front of God you will be atoned what does it mean in front of God I think I mentioned five, six or seven questions, I lost count, but it doesn't really matter the number. What matters is that we have a big, big question mark on what is the essence of Yom Kippur, and what does it mean Yom Kippur, what happens, how does it bring about atonement, why is every Jew connected to Yom Kippur, and uh, why five prayers in Yom Kippur, and how does the atonement work? In order to understand this, says Hasidus, that we have to understand the concept that is called essence and revelation. Or in the Hebrew words, it's atmos and giluyim. Atzmos is the essence of things, and giluyim is the revelation of things, the expression of things. This concept is a very basic concept in Hasidus. This concept comes up a lot, a lot of times in the, in the Hasidic thought, in Hasidic philosophy. And I think that the source of this is from Jewish philosophy that is based on Aristotle, which basically explained the very interesting um, philosophical intellectual concept. And the philosophical intellectual concept goes as follows. Everything in the world has its essence and has its expression. Take a concept. Take a concept. Table. It's, it's a very crass example. It's not, a, it's not really such a smart example. But, but I'm, I, I want to go from the very, very simple, simple concept. What is the meaning of a table? You ask a person what a table is, they'll tell you, usually they'll tell you, they'll describe the table that they're sitting next to. I actually am sitting now next to a table that has a glass, glass top, and it has some type of metal, uh, metal, uh, um, uh, metal legs, four legs. So that's how I would describe the table. Now someone will come and ask me, what are you talking about? I'm actually sitting next to a table that is wood and doesn't have four feet, it has two feet. Or I'm sitting next to a table that happens to be plastic and only has one foot. So what is a table? And by the way, what a color? My, my table is, uh, is see-through. Your table might be brown and the other, the plastic, might be white. So what is a table? So philosophy, simple philosophy, will t- try to tell you the following. And let's try to understand this concept. Everything has its essence and has its description. The description is something superimposed on it. A table is neither glass, nor wood, nor plastic. What is a table? A table is a concept, it's an abstract concept. We'll have to try to find the common denominator of exactly what is the essence of the concept of table. Now the fact that it's four feet, or two feet, or one foot, or plastic, or or, or white, or green, or blue, or All these things are external, they are descriptions, they're not the essence of the thing. That concept is called essence versus revelation slash description. So when you take any concept and you strip it from any description possible, What you're going to find is going. you're going to find the pristine, essential description of what the thing is. Usually we relate to things based on their description, based on their story, based on their expression, based on their revelation. Essence is not how something expresses itself. It's not, not how something presents itself but rather, essence is who you are, essentially. Or in the case of the table, what a table is essentially, when you strip it from any description and you get to the very core essential essence of it, whatever that means, maybe maybe the essence of it would be something that holds things I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I didn't think about it because it doesn't really matter what tables are, right? Let's try to, let's try to give it a more deeper example, not only talking about tables. Let's talk about a parent, a father that is very, very smart and philosophical, very cerebral. And that father has 10 children. He has 10 children. His oldest child is the smartest and the way it has it is that that uh, <laughs> that like uh, the younger they become the stupider they become just for example i want to ask you with whom would the father hang out more with the oldest child or with the youngest child i think obviously with the oldest child why because the oldest child has more wisdom has more intelligence and the father is very into intelligence. But if I would ask you, who is the father more father to? The oldest or the youngest? What would you say? He should be a father to the youngest. But is he more father to the youngest than to the oldest? you should try and spread it to them all, really. It's exactly the same. Why? Because wisdom and intelligence are not essential. They are revelation. They are expressions. They are presentations. The essence of the child, what is the essence of the child? The essence of the child is that he's one with his father. Now, who is the father more father to, the oldest or the youngest? Exactly the same. Why? Because because the difference in their intelligence is all differences in Revelation. Father and son have an essential connection. Comes so we obviously need to explain it, but at least let's give the line... The line that Chassidus says comes to and Chassidus explains that Russia's Yom Kippur is a day of essence. What does it mean a day of essence? We'll we'll have to discuss that. But it's a day that Hashem celebrates and we celebrate our essential connection with Hashem. Therefore, you want to know how atonement happens on Yom Kippur? The way that atonement happens on Yom Kippur is simply by the fact that when there is a revelation of essence, Sins do not access that level. Sins do not exist on that level. You know what happens to all of our sins on Yom Kippur? They vanish. How do they vanish? Because they do not stand a chance in front of a revelation of essence. And that's the way how Hasidus explains the idea why the Talmud says The essence of the day atones. Why does it say the essence of the day? Because that's the whole idea of Yom Kippur. The whole idea of Yom Kippur is that it's essential. That's the reason why we have five prayers on Yom Kippur. Why do we have five prayers? We Jews have five levels to our soul. The lowest levels are nefesh. Nefesh is the power of action. One higher than that is the level of ruach, which is the power of emotion. One higher than that is the neshama, which is the power of intellect. These three are faculties that we use on a regular basis. action, emotions, and intellect. That's why every day we have three prayers. On special days, we have the ability to tap into our subconscious. That's why we have four prayers. On Yom Kippur, we tap into our fifth level, which is called our Yechida. What does Yechida mean? Yechida means essence. Yechida means the part in us, the feminine of Yechid, the feminine of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is called Yachid. God is called Yachid, the only one, and Yechida is the essence of a Jew that is connected to God, the Pintalayid. The essence of me being Jewish. That's why in Yom Kippur, every Jew is connected. Every Jew feels something. Even the one in the book of that goita. To... Because it's a day of essential connection. Whatever that means. Next class, Tuesday, we're going to meet again. We're going to talk about it. We're going to explain it a bit more. What does it mean that, that sins don't exist on, on a level of essence? we have to discuss what, what, what does it mean, there's no sins, but the Holy Yom Kippur, we talk about uh, our sins. All these things need to be explained in great length. But in order for us to at least encapsulate, uh, not encapsulate, to, to, to um, I don't know, I'm missing the word now. In order for us to be able like, to have a complete thing of our class today, we need to understand that Yom Kippur is a day of essence and sins don't exist on the level of essence. That's why every Jew is connected. And that's why the posok says on the uh, Kibayoim, on this day, Yecha Per He will atone for you. It doesn't say a name. What does a name mean? A name is expression, a name is representation, a name is external. But the source of atonement is because it's a day of connection to essence that is beyond the name. That's why the verse says, before God you will be purified. What does it mean before God? Before God means before the name, above the name. That's why Yom Kippur is called the Day of Returning, the Day of Tshuva, where are we returning to? We're returning to our essential pristine Self, our initial being, before we have transpired and become our whole description, our whole story, our whole way of how we present ourselves. So that's the idea of Yom Kippur, that we go back to our essence and we connect to a God's essence. And that's why some people say that the word atonement means at one mint, a day of becoming one with Hashem. May you all have a Ksiva HaChsimah a good sweet year, and may you only have open and revealed blessings from Hashem's full, open, holy, wide, and overflowing hands, like the Baal of Tov Siddur says, both physically and spiritually. May we merit to convince God to be a king on the world, but not only in a concealed way, but in the most open and revealed way, we should coronate him in a way that he should want to come to the world, in a way that every living being on the world and every existence in the world should know that God, the King of Israel is king and his kingdom reigns over everything. Really, really, I wanna wish you from the depth of my heart, only open reveal goodness and kindness. I think we all had enough pain and suffering. Enough is enough. We should already be enveloped in the blissful relationship with Hashem that manifests also in all physical endeavors. Have a beautiful, beautiful, sweet year. Thank you guys. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. My pleasure. Same to you. See you next see you next year on Tuesday. Yeah, see you next year. <laughs> next year. Can't wait.